back into Ephesians after being out of it for our Christmas series for a bit of time. Just a reminder, after revealing the mystery of Christ in chapters 1 to 3, that is, that God has planned and purposed to unite all things in heaven and on earth in his Son, Jesus Christ, and that part of that plan is to unite sinners to himself by the saving work of Christ on the cross, God has made spiritually dead sinners alive in Christ by his gracious gift of saving faith. Another part of God's plan, then, is to unite all of his saved people now together to one another, again in Christ. So Christ, who is our peace, has made peace between us, every person in the church. And this has implications that are more more far-reaching than we might ever imagine. That's why this mystery had to be revealed to us. Our unity here in the church, in our one Lord, our one faith, our one baptism, our one God, is a display of God's wisdom to all of the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church is very important in God's sovereign plan of redemption. Which is why Paul goes on in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to instruct the church, to instruct us to walk out God's plan. He tells us to walk in Christ. Because in Christ we have been recreated after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He instructs us that we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and in that way, to be imitators of God himself. And in our passage today, Paul calls us to walk as light. To walk as light. We're going to try to unpack that this morning in Paul's words. Uh, But I I just want to ask you a question. What, uh, What would you think of if I were to say, you have light? We've been dog-sitting the past week or so, and so every morning when it's dark and every evening when it's dark, we take the dogs out for a walk on the streets, and so I have a flashlight. I'm thinking of a flashlight when you say, Scott, you have light. And so I I have that flashlight, and it's got power inside to to make light, but nothing happens till I push that button, right? I've got to push that button to make that shine. And so I have to think about that Shining, and, and if the batteries are low, it doesn't shine too much. If the batteries are new, it shines really, really well. But I also have to direct that light, right? I can point it in different places, and, and hopefully places where it will have a good effect. But what do you think of if I were to say that you are light? You are light. Kind of sounds like a superpower. Kind of sounds like a superpower. I am light? Me? That's right. Paul's going to tell us that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are light. And so there's a shining that we need to be interested in, concerned about, pushing the button so that there there actually is light and not not light. We have to We have to think about directing that light. If you're light, and you're going to go walk about your life this week, where are you going to shine? Where are you going to direct your light? How are you going to target your light living? That's a pretty big decision to make. 
And what effect do you expect to have? What effect might your living as light have if you were to do it well? What's the opportunity cost? What might, what might go undone if you choose to kind of eh, not pay much attention to the light that you are? There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to think about here because Paul says we're light, so be light. If you want to pick up the sermon outline, you can read this sermon theme, Walking in a Manner Worthy of Christ which is our rubric that we're in all the way back in chapter 4, includes walking as light. For we have become light in Jesus Christ. The good, right, and true Christian lifestyle in the church exposes darkness by the light of Christ. Well, let's begin in uh, verse 3 of chapter 5. I'll read chapter 3 down through verse 14. That's our text for the morning. This is the word of God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of God. Well, Paul gets right into it. Sexual immorality means any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed marriage relationship. This is a very broad understanding of this term. Sexual immorality is any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed marriage relationship. Relationship, and we know where this comes from. Jesus told his disciples, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality. These are what uh, desire, these desires are what are in a person. He tells us that in Matthew chapter 15. That's why, that's why Paul goes on to teach, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And of course, Paul has already called us to not live like the Gentiles anymore, talking to Gentile believers. Sexual immorality was a huge problem for new Gentile Christians to overcome in the early church. Adultery, prostitution, incest, pornography, 
homosexuality, sex in pagan worship services were all part of everyday life in Ephesus. That's one of the reasons that the the Jews were so disgusted by the behavior of the Gentiles. The Gentiles pursued uncleanness before God. And such sexual immorality is not even to be named among the new Gentile believers in the church. In fact, no impurity is to be named among them. Back in chapter 4, verse 19, Paul described the Gentiles as greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You might remember that. But I think here, when he talks about impurity, he's hammering the same nail. Sexual impurity is the most prominent impurity in the New Testament. Here are just a couple of examples of Paul doing that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, Paul writes, I fear that when I come again, may God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sexuality that have been practiced. And then this reminder from Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Because there's the anchor. See, just as the Gentiles lust for more, their covetousness in all areas is just out of control. He says they're covetous or greedy. They're insatiable to acquire more of everything. Money, sex, power, aren't those the very vices that characterize the world you live in? The culture we live in today? But they should never characterize the life of a Christian. Not even a new Christian. Not anymore. That is the immoral lifestyle we've been called out of when we were in darkness. That's what Paul's saying. And he just lays right in, doesn't he? It's as if he he knew exactly what our culture would be like. Bathed in sexual immorality of every kind. Covetous for more of every kind. Insatiable in that way. Now, these behaviors in, uh, that, that come up next may not seem as bad. Let me see what you think. After talking about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, he says in verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Hmm, those don't sound quite as bad as sexual immorality and adultery. And yet, what we need to understand is that Paul addresses them with the same forcefulness of his command. This is indecent. This is inappropriate behavior for a Christian. He says it as strongly as he does that there should be no uh, sexual immorality named among you. You might expect these attitudes and behaviors among the Gentiles, they're in place there, if you will, but they're out of place among Christians. They're out of place if they're found in the church. No filthiness means no obscene behavior. We should not do things that bring shame or disgrace upon the reputation of Christ's people or Christ's church. Paul isn't specific here, but we can fill in the blank with a few things. Lewd gestures, inappropriate touching, disgusting jokes. Is this how a servant of God behaves? In the church or in public? 
And what about the way we talk? Foolish talk is the language of a fool. Silly. Thoughtless. Dirty. Stupid. It certainly isn't helpful or edifying in any way. Crude joking, coarse talk, vulgar talk. It, it's the kind of talk that sounds clever. Maybe it, it makes you sound forceful at the time or strong or well-opinioned, but all for the wrong reasons. It's none of those. It's certainly not Christian. Now, Paul's not a total killjoy about the Christian life. But he seems to be saying that talk, particularly humor, has its place. You know, like anger. Remember when he talked about anger? Be angry, but, but don't sin. Like anger, our speech needs to be carefully monitored. It needs to be controlled, or it too can quickly degenerate into sin, so quickly, so easily, with just a word. And notice, this is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's not what Paul's doing here. What we say should be consistent with our identity in Christ. That's where Paul's coming from. It's where he's been coming from since the very beginning of this letter. You're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and as such... You need to walk in these ways. How did Christ talk? What was his attitude toward people around him? And why shouldn't we make the effort to be like him in these ways? See, rather than being like that, we should be characterized by, Paul says, thanksgiving. By thanksgiving. Instead, let there be Thanksgiving. We need to develop a heart of thanksgiving to God. In contrast to impure, self-centered behavior and filthy talk, Christians should be recognized by their thankfulness to God. Huh. You ever, you ever come across a thankful person in your day? Depending on where you are, there are sometimes few and far between. But boy, are they recognizable. Thankfulness should be a hallmark feature of every Christian life. We should be thankful people. After all, we are the beneficiaries of a glorious inheritance. Paul says, there's, just as there's a reason for joy because we've been saved, there's a reason for thanksgiving because we're receiving a glorious inheritance in the saints. We would expect Paul to counter sexual immorality with sexual purity. We would expect Paul to counter obscene behavior with appropriate or pure behavior. We would expect Paul to counter filthy talk with wholesome talk, but Paul counters them all with thankfulness. Just be thankful. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Paul tells the Corinthians, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted up and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Yeah, if all those things are true, if you've received Christ Jesus, if he's your Lord, 
Uh, if he's enabled you to walk in him, if you're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith such that it's long-lasting and will bring about its end consequences, which you want, the salvation of your souls, then just as you were taught, you should abound in thanksgiving. You've got every reason to be thankful and, and every reason to not not be thankful. He tells the Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances. How are you doing with that, brothers and sisters? Give thanks in all circumstances circumstances, or this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's, that can be a tough one. But in all circumstances, we're to give thanks to God. And later in Ephesians, we'll read, because he's going to write in chapter 5, verse 20, give thanks always. And for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're to be giving thanks to God always. And for everything. You know, if you do that, you'll counter all of the sinful behaviors of darkness. That's what Paul's setting up here. If your heart is genuinely rooted in thankfulness to God, those other things will be displaced by your heart's attitude of thankfulness. In verse 5, he gives us a warning. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, in other words, everything that he just talked about, those same three things, and then he groups them together, they are an idolater, they are not a believer in God, they are an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's the, there's the basis, this is a person who has no basis, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In contrast to impure, self-centered behavior and filthy talk, Christians should be recognized by their thankfulness to God. Thankfulness should be a hallmark feature of every Christian life. That's right. Paul gives us the greatest reason to give thanks to God right in this sentence. We are no longer like the Gentiles, trapped in our sin and sinful lifestyles. That's not us anymore. Now, you already know this if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've forgotten, then reread chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians and say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm not that way anymore. I'm not dead, dead, dead in my transgressions and sins. I am not far from God and without hope in the world. See, Paul here is distinguishing between a believer who may commit one of those sins, sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, with the unbeliever who is characterized by those sins and has no inheritance. Listen to this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, not thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. to That's what Paul's talking about here. The unbeliever has no claim on any inheritance in the kingdom of God. But you do. You do. You 
When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, Jesus, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance, until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So surely the overwhelming characteristic of your attitude and behavior is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Real thanksgiving for a real reason, a real inheritance. Thanksgiving. It's to acknowledge our dependence upon God. I can't do this stuff. Thank you, God. I can't handle this stuff. Thank you, God. Knowing Him as the source of every blessing, especially His gift of redemption by the blood of Christ that Paul's been talking about throughout Ephesians. It's by the blood. It's by the blood. It's by the blood that you are in Christ and adopted and your sins are forgiven. And so an attitude of thanksgiving corrects Selfish sins and obscene speech. That's pretty amazing. If you want to work on something, if you want to go home this afternoon, read your Bible and think, Lord, what is it that I need to you know, do a little more of? What can I focus on that would help me out down here where I live and how I live? If you would cultivate saying thank you to God for the many blessings, the real blessings he's actually given to you, the ways that he has been your heavenly father, it will correct many of the selfish sins and obscene speech that you currently display. That's a real help. Paul gives us another help in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So here's an alert there have always been those who would try to justify their ungodly behavior, their sexual immorality, filthy talk, their lifestyle of greed, with theological reasoning and Bible in hand. There have always been, and there are now, those who will try to justify their ungodly behavior and use the Bible to do it with. Have you heard of the prosperity gospel? The health and wealth gospel. Yeah, they're lies from the pit of hell used to justify sinful behavior. In fact, covetousness. Have you heard the gospel testimonies, maybe of celebrities or sports stars on TV who praise God for their success, praise God for who he's made them, but, but never say a word about their sins being forgiven by Christ's blood on the cross? Be cautious. Be cautious. Don't listen to those who would justify their behavior, sinful behavior, with theological reasons because you can't. It's sinful. Don't be drug into that. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to those arguments. Remember in chapter 4 how Paul instructed the church to build itself up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He's going back to that. Don't listen to that. You should be maturing, and here you should be walking in the light so that you're not confused about those things, and you're not tempted to justify sin because you are light. 
Don't be deceived by empty words. Don't be misled to think you can live such an idolatrous lifestyle without consequences. It's because unbelievers think they can continue in their sin without consequences that the wrath of God rests upon them. That's what Paul's describing here. They are sons of disobedience. And so were you at one time, according to chapter 2 of Ephesians. When you lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your flesh, but God made you alive in Christ. God did that. By grace, through faith, God made you alive in Christ, so don't fall for that same old deception that is death. This is a helpful warning that Paul's giving to the church. You cannot justify your sinful behavior, so don't listen to anyone who says you can. You know better. Just like the prosperity gospel, those empty words are full of darkness for those who believe them. That's Paul's warning. Warnings are so helpful if you heed them. If you ignore them, then you find those warnings to be true. Pick up in verse 7. This is, a, this is just a meaty part of the passage where Paul, Paul really gets into us walking in light. Therefore, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, because they are sons of disobedience and are under the wrath of God, because of their disobedient and sinful behavior, you must not partner with them. You must not partner with them. Rather, you must separate yourself from their impure lifestyle. Bad company ruins good morals. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? But that's not the reason that Paul gives here as to why you should separate yourself from that darkness of lifestyle. He's not saying, you know, build a cabin in the woods and, and, and don't interact with anybody who's an unbeliever. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you cannot participate with them in their lifestyle. To the ex- how, how far should we be from them? As far as it takes for us to not be influenced by their lifestyle. As far as it takes for us to not give approval to their lifestyle. That's the distance, whatever that is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, well, let me say this, but uh, the reason that Paul gives here that we're not to partner with unbelievers in their, in their Gentile lifestyle is one of identity. He said, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. You were once darkness. You were once identified as dead in your trespasses and sins. But having been made alive in Christ and brought near to God by Christ's blood, you are now light even as Christ is light. Brothers and sisters, it's just simply who you are now. That's the reason. Notice he doesn't say that you were in the dark, but now you're in the light. He says, you've been changed. You've been transformed in Christ. You once were darkness. Now you are light in Christ. 
That's, so so that's, an, that's an ontological change. So ontological simply means very nature, our very being. Our very nature, our very being has been transformed from darkness to light in Christ. Now, people just looking at you, sitting here this morning, won't see you looking much different. But the heavens do. Because you have been changed forever. Who you are, your very being, your very essence, now that you are in Christ, is different than it was before. As different as light and darkness. As different as having a destiny that leads to hell and a destiny that leads to heaven. It is an ontological change. You, you, the psychosomatic person, you, the, you, the, the spirit and embodied being, have been changed, transformed into light. You were not basically good people who had accidentally wandered off the lighted path. You're not that. No. You were by your very nature dark. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were without hope. You were without God in this world. You were evil, following the course of this world, in complete submission to the prince of the power of the air, enslaved to your own fleshly lusts. That's who you were. But that's not your identity anymore. Paul tells the Colossians that God had delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. We are no longer in darkness. We are no longer in darkness. And we are no longer darkness. Now you are light. If I yell it louder, will you believe it more? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are light. I went the other way. I thought, <laughs> I, I, I think we just have a little bit of trouble grasping that and believing that. You are light. You're not the flashlight. You're the superpower. You are light. Now you're light, characterized by, Paul says, goodness and righteousness and truth. How does that sound? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Understanding God as light is at the center of John's message whenever we read the Apostle John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The imagery of light and darkness is prominent, even in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 reads, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It's a promise for the people of God. And in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, the prophet promises, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light, and, bring, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's amazing. 
God's people are going to shine a light like that. There's going to be an amazing effect when God's people shine this light that has risen upon them and shines upon them such that they are light. And, and Paul affirms the Thessalonian church by saying, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. This is our new identity in Christ. Can we be sure? Well, of course we can. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we're called to walk as children of light. If God is light, like John said, and he is, and we're his children, then we are children of light, and we're to shine a light, the very light of God, the very light of Christ within us. So let's walk as children of light. Look at, again at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walking in light means that what we do and what we say should reflect our new identity in Christ. Make sense, right? This is very practical. This is very down to earth. This is your day-to-day living. Walking as light means that what we do and say should reflect our new identity in Christ, which means everything about us should demonstrate the essential character of God our Father, which means we should demonstrate goodness, righteousness, and truth. We should demonstrate those things that are pleasing to God. That's what Paul says here. It makes total sense. This comes very close to the words of the prophet Micah. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And then Paul talks about the fruit of light. The fruit of light is sort of like the fruit of the Spirit in some ways. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit endeavors to produce goodness in our lives because God himself is good. That's that's the only reason. It's the only reason we need. It's the only logical connection we need to make. We should be good because our, our Father in heaven is good. And so the psalmist writes, give thanks to the Lord for he's good. And his love endures forever. The righteousness of God is what sets him apart from every other God that the Ephesians used to worship. And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. Our growth and maturity is a progressive transformation, right? Takes place over time from unrighteousness to righteousness, from darkness to light. That's what we're involved in. Goodness, righteousness, And Paul says truth. Truth truth would characterize the words that we say, wouldn't they? Paul's big on the things that we've been saying here. The the words that we say should be true, not silly. More than our words, truth is just the basic operating system, right, that we live by. And here's the fun part about that. Paul says We should do this. We should walk as children of light, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Many Christians want the Bible to provide detailed steps to be followed in every possible circumstance in life. Don't you? <laughs> Please. You know, we, we want an index at the front of the Bible, right, with, with all of the topics that could, that could occur in life, so we can just look that up by topic and then subtopic and then flip back and find bullet points and boxes to check. There, I did it. Don't be like that. It's part of your sanctification process to not be like that. God has not given you a goodness, righteousness, truth app for your phone to click on. No. Instead, he has made you light. So that you can walk as light in every situation and circumstances in your life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He hasn't just given us light, he's made us light in Christ. Now... This is kind of the part you don't like, but it's the part you got to get used to. Now it's up to us, with the Spirit's help, to discern how to shine as the light of Christ in every moment and every circumstance. That's what he means when he says, you have to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Well, in a basic sense, we understand what's pleasing to the Lord. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. That is the fruit of light. So... We're to go about doing that, but we have to figure out how to do it in each circumstance and with those people. Which is golden, because it's not just about accomplishing light, it's about being light. It's about us being transformed and made more light. You know, just as gold or silver are strengthened and purified through testing, our walk in the light, our practice of goodness and righteousness and truth is strengthened and purified in real life, in actually being light. And we prove the will of God to be good and righteous and true when we do that. It's a little like Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to do it. Otherwise, we're not light. The checklist is. But we're to be light. And we are light. And our light, just like our faith, is being tested so that we can prove it to be real. Jesus tells his disciples to walk as children of light in his Sermon on the Mount. If you don't like listening to me or Paul, listen to Jesus. You are the light of the world. That's what I told you. But it's good to hear it from Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Walk as children of light. But don't share in the evil activities of darkness. <clears throat> in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So, so the opposite of what he said about light is, is also true. Just as we are not to partner with people in darkness, verse 7, we are not to participate in the fruit of darkness, 
Obviously, unfruitful works are the opposite of the fruit of light and precisely counter to the goodness, righteousness, and truth which pleases the Lord. So run away from sin. Just run away. Take no part in darkness. Paul encourages the church in Rome along these same lines in Romans chapter 13, verse 12. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Gosh, that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool that, kind of cool that that light is also an armor. Hadn't thought about that. In the rest of chapter 11, Paul goes on to talk about exposing the sins of others. That's an interesting one. You know, a little caution up front. It sounds a little aggressive, doesn't it? You're to expose the sins of others. We kind of think that we're here for that anyway, don't we? When <laughs> we look at other, I'm just happy to point out all the things that other people are doing wrong. Uh, I'd rather not, you know, look in the mirror. Uh, but gosh, I seem to be gifted. I seem to be gifted at being able to point out people's sin. Probably because I've studied the Bible so much. You know, I'm sure the Lord wants me to do that. Of course not. Of course not. What's always the reason for pointing out sin? Conviction of sin by the Spirit. So that we would turn to Christ and repent. And find salvation. Always, always, always. I think it's important to see that Paul is not so much directing believers to expose the sins of those outside the church. I'm not sure how you're reading this. I mean, that would be an easy read, wouldn't it? All those Gentiles out there who are sinning, because I used to be one and used to do that, uh, you know, it's about them. That would be just normal behavior in a pagan culture, though. You're, You're not that discerning to look at unbelievers and say, hey, they're believing like unbelievers. No, I think he's directing this towards the church. This is meant for us. Just as all of this letter is directed towards the church. And this passage is focused on the church walking in the light. Paul's goal is to help believers to grow and mature in Christ. So what Paul calls the things done in secret corresponds with the unfruitful works of darkness. This is Christians trying to hide their ongoing sin. That's what it is. Their shameful behavior is everything he has already described. Sexual immorality, impurity and covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk and crude joking, all the things that should be displaced by thanksgiving, because thanksgiving is light. That's the goal of exposing sin in the church. It's to bring about repentance and forgiveness and maturing in what is good and right and true. Okay, so that's our working definition of light. What is good and right and true. That's light. And it's important. It's important for sin to be exposed in the church by light. Let me make sure I've read this to you. Pick up in verse uh, 12. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes light, becomes visible, is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus prescribed this very thing, exposing darkness in the church, when he said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault 
just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. That's the purpose Paul has in mind. And so Paul tells the Galatians, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. There's the the complete acknowledgement that we in the church can be tempted to sin. And that there are those in the church who are sinning. And so they need to be brought back. They need to have some light shown upon their darkness. This passage is not here to help us sit in judgment of unbelievers. That's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? Why are you unbelievers behaving that way? Because they're unbelievers. That's not what this is for, no. It's here to help us. It's here to help us to purify the church in light. Because it's shameful for people who have been made light to behave as darkness. It's out of place. And so Paul makes this appeal at the end. He caps off this section with a reference to, well, it's a hymn. It's an early hymn. All commentators agree that this is likely an early hymn or a common saying that the church would have understood. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's set apart in quotes like it's that way. But we don't have the actual hymn, but we we know the verses that it's based on. It's based on two verses from from Isaiah, and it's strongly directed to any believers in the church who are, who are light but continue to walk in darkness. That's what this is targeting. So here are the two verses from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, your bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. The second verse is in Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. We've already looked at this once. So these promises in Isaiah are for God's people. To bring them out of darkness and shine his light upon them. Paul uses these words in the same way, for God's people. In the imagery of chapter 2, verse 1, it's used as a reminder of what is true. And you were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ. We look back and we see that thing. All of these things that have happened to the believer. So, if you are still in darkness, trapped in your sins, let me appeal to you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ and he will shine his life-giving light upon you. These are Jesus' very words to you this morning from John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Believe him. Trust his words. And you will have life that he purchased on the cross with his blood. The forgiveness of your sins, the spirit who brings goodness and righteousness and truth. Do that this morning. For all of you who are light, 
and are called to walk as light, if I'm not mistaken, the text of Scripture this morning itself has shined light upon your sin and mine. That's good. That's good. Because here what we, here's what we have at our disposal, brothers and sisters. We have at our disposal the light of Christ that shines on us to empower us, to direct us, to encourage us, to sustain us as we walk with Christ in this life. Not the flashlight, but the superpower. The superpower is the light of Christ within us. The superpower is Christ. We're empowered in light. We're empowered to direct that light. We're encouraged to sustain that light. And even when we're grieved by our sin, and the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin, even then the Holy Spirit is with us to help us to pray. Even as the psalmist prays in Psalm 43, the psalmist prays, send out your light and your truth and lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And God will do that. God will do that. He will send out his light and his truth. And he will guide you and lead you to his holy hill and to his dwelling. And if we will repent of our sin, if we will turn from darkness and turn to light, because we are light, we will walk as light in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us light through the blood of Christ. And Father, we pray that you would make everyone here light through the blood of Christ by faith in your gospel this morning. Lord, we pray that you would transfer any unbeliever this morning from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son, where there is life and light forevermore. This is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.